thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. God, I thank you for your presence this morning, and I pray that you speak, Lord, that your word goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start a new series today. It's called Upside Down Kingdom. Everybody say, Upside Down. All right, so Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Above everything else, seek first the kingdom of God. And we often refer to this kingdom as the Upside Down Kingdom. Because the Bible says this is a kingdom where the least is greatest, where it's better to give than to receive, where we love our enemies, where faith trumps sight, where leaders are servants, where humility is exalted. And Jesus said, uh, well, this kingdom will one day be our literal home. But today, if you've accepted Christ, you are citizens of that kingdom and we're called to live as such. And with that being the case, what that means for you and for me is there are characteristics that are either extremely rare in the world today or even frowned upon in the world today that we're called to live by, that they're exalted in the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at a few of those in this series, beginning today in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Beginning in verse 46, it says, Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting on the, by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and called, or stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing, aside his, cloak, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now we're going to come back to this story. I'm going to uh, start in a little bit of a different way this morning. I'm going to share with you what used to be in my day an unwritten rule in the world of dating. Some of you have heard of this, maybe some of you haven't. I'm going to share with you an unwritten rule in the world of dating, and I want you to tell me what was the purpose of that rule. So when I was on the dating scene... It was called the three-day rule. How many of you have heard of the three-day rule? Okay, you may not get this then. <laughs> uh, the rule said, uh, this usually applied to the girl. This is, again, years ago. But it said that after a first date, the girl gave the guy three days to initiate contact. And only after that three days, if she hadn't heard from him, could she then initiate contact. Now, what do you suppose the point of that rule was? You can shout it out. Wow. <laughs> what do you think it would be? Anybody? Desperation. desperation. You don't want to look desperate. No one wants to look desperate. And by the way, Emily's in the back today, but I get to talk about her again. I had my own version of this rule when we were dating. I called it the two-year rule. Uh, it's when you really like someone, you don't ask them out for at least two years. Uh, <laughs> it gives you a lot of time to woo them. I wooed her for a long time. And then after two years, you just pounce. And uh, you say, <laughs> does it really work? And I would just say, you know, we've been married for a while now. I can't remember. And 
she's not here, so I'm not in trouble. Uh, but we have three kids, so it must work to some degree. But in dating, you never want to come off as desperate. And the same thing is true in the world of business or specifically when it comes to negotiating. You never want to appear desperate when it comes to negotiating. Uh, if you are desperate, you don't want the other side to know. You don't want to show it because desperation in our culture lends itself to being taken advantage of. Desperation in our culture lends itself to being taken advantage of. Uh, today I want to talk about desperation. Now, there are many definitions, I'm sure, or interpretations of that word, but in the context of today's message, desperation is a place of dire need, and it's a need that often depends on another person to meet. I used to show, uh, watch a show called Shark Tank. Can somebody at least say they've seen the show Shark Tank? Okay, that's better than the other example. Uh, people would come to these potential investors on Shark Tank and they would have these business ideas or a small business and very often they would be desperate. They would be broke. They would have no money. And the Shark Tank uh, investors would say, well, tell us about your business. They would never start off by saying, well, I'm broken, desperate. No, they would tell them everything good about my business, everything shiny, all the potential that's there. But the, the investors knew the exact questions to ask to find out just how desperate is this person. Why did they do that? Because if I'm the investor, the more desperate I know you are, the more con in control I am, the more power I have. The more desperate that I know you are, the more you are at my mercy. Now, a few months ago, we did a series called Surrounded By, and I asked you, what are we surrounded by in the world today? Number one uh, answer to that question, you guys said, we are surrounded by greed in the world today. I spoke with a friend of mine this week who, who uh, owns a business, and he said he's seen this over and over and over. When a culture of greed sees someone who is desperate, they don't offer, offer to lend a, a helping hand they see an opportunity to take advantage of them, to exploit that situation. And most of us, I would say, have seen someone in desperate circumstances that has been taken advantage of or exploited to some degree. And you know, we even find this happening in scripture. And it's not just with like the, the bad guys in scripture. Uh, if you look at Jacob, who you would kind of consider one of the, the fathers of our faith, one of the really heroes of our faith. In Genesis 25, his brother Esau came to him and he was famished, he was starving, he was desperate. And Jacob sees him and instead of offering a lending hand, he, he sees the opportunity, an opportunity to take advantage. And he says, yeah, I'll give you some stew. You give me your birthright. Now, normally a birthright is off the table. You would never consider giving away the double portion of your inheritance, all of the blessings that come with the birthright. But Esau was desperate, so he gave Jacob what he asked for. Again, most of us have seen something like this, someone who is desperate and they're taken advantage of. So our goal becomes to portray the opposite of desperation. We are self-sufficient. We rely upon no one. If it's negotiating, I want you to see that I'm okay without you, that you need this as much or more than I do. 
I want you to see that I don't need you to survive. So first off this morning, I want to ask the question, why do we do this? Why do we portray that we're not desperate if we are? Why do we do everything we can to avoid desperate situations? And the answer is actually, I find it fascinating because it's the way that we have been designed and created and hardwired. Uh, the way that we are created is anytime we see a circumstance with negative impact, our brain, we don't have to convince ourselves, our brain tells us we want nothing to do with it. Uh, as adults, that's like, of course. But wh what's interesting is this goes to toddlers and babies start doing this. When a, when a toddler or a baby experiences something that causes pain, there is a, a transaction that takes place in their brain where they categorize that as, I want nothing to do with that. Stay away from that. And since most of us associate desperation with, with exploitation and pain, we walk away knowing two things. I never want to be desperate. I never want to be in a place of dire need. And if I ever am, I don't want anyone to see that about me. Here's the second question. Maybe it's a little more relevant. What's my point in all this? Am I saying that you should open yourself up to desperation? Uh, am I saying that you should try to be desperate? Maybe next time you go on a date with someone, a first date, and they say, tell me about yourself, just say, well, I'm desperate. Start out that way and see how it goes. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is it is incredibly difficult to have an attitude in the physical and keep it from bleeding over into the spiritual. It is almost impossible to have one attitude in the physical and have the opposite attitude in the spiritual. So if I strive so hard to never be in need, and if I am, if I'm ever desperate, to not let people see it, if I do that in the physical, it's almost impossible for me to portray in the spiritual God, I'm never in, in need. I'm never desperate for you, God. It's almost impossible to separate these two attitudes. Now, the problem with that is in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us, by most interpretations, that there is great blessing in recognizing our spiritual need, our spiritual desperation. Uh, we're going to read... Uh, through we know it as the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 1 through 10 uh, it says when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on the mountainside and sat down and he, his disciples came to him he began to teach them he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger for and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Every attitude we just read has something in common. In a culture of greed, they are either rare or looked down upon altogether. But we belong, church, to an upside-down kingdom. If you were to continue the next few chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, uh, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest and most well-known teaching. 
uh, it's often referred to as the constitution of the Christian faith because you can always come back to Matthew 5 through 7 to get rooted in the Christian faith and Jesus' teachings. It talks about everything uh, from prayer and fasting and giving and heaven and hell. And there's something to be said about the fact that it begins with this kind of contradictory station, uh, uh, statement where Jesus said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? Does that mean you're, you're broke? No, poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means to be aware and even to embrace the reality of your own spiritual bankruptcy. To be poor in spirit means to recognize that spiritually speaking, you are in desperate need and it is a need that can only be met by someone else. And as Jesus launched into his most famous teaching in all of the Bible, he began this way. There is great blessing in knowing that you are spiritually in desperate need. Now, why is there blessing in knowing this? Is it so that we'll hang our heads down low uh, as we walk out the door? No, it's because only when we know our deep spiritual need to begin with, can we fully appreciate that that need has been eternally met in Jesus Christ. That the best that we can give of ourselves, the Bible says, is filthy rags. But God's grace, church, is so powerful that though I and myself am as a filthy rag, I am presented before God as flawless and blameless, blameless and without blemish, due to the grace of God. It's not about us at all. It's about recognizing the depths of the grace of God. Uh, it's interesting to compare the old covenant and the new covenant in this context because under the old covenant, relationship with God and right standing with God was based on the law. It was based on works. It was based on uh, doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing. And what it actually did is it gave the people opportunity to prove they could be self-sufficient. It gave them centuries and centuries to prove that we are not poor in spirit. Because if I can just follow the law, it proves that I'm not spiritually bankrupt. I can do it. And the only thing that it proved was that we desperately need the grace of God. Church, we are not self-sufficient spiritually speaking. We are completely dependent, spiritually speaking, on the grace of God. But if you are in Christ, your desperate need for God is eternally met. That means that you are clothed in Christ and in his grace. And when you mess up, and we all still mess up, you don't have to wonder, is there enough grace to cover this too? No, there is grace in abundance forever covering you if you are in Christ. You are presented flawless. When the Father looks upon you, he sees his Son. That's what took place for you on the cross. And, and when we recognize our dire need, Jesus said there is blessing in recognizing that, in embracing the fact that We've got to have it. It's not me. It's not you. No offense. 
Be offended if you want. It's not you. It is the grace of God in our lives. So first we find that Jesus actually encourages us to acknowledge our desperation before him, to embrace the reality of, of our spiritual need. Jesus said this is a foundational attitude in the kingdom of God, but it's not just that that I want you to see today. Because what we find in scripture is God responds to people who recognize their desperation. God responds to people who are desperate for a move of God. That's why we began the story this morning with Bartimaeus, because Bartimaeus had this profound understanding of his own need. He knew that he had a need that only Jesus could answer. He recognized that he could not meet that need. He recognized he was a man in desperate circumstances. And it was enough to power him past an obstacle that would stop many of us in our tracks. And that was the people saying to him, be quiet. Stop calling out for Jesus. If you can see them speaking to him, have some pride, Bartimaeus. Have a little dignity in life. Don't embarrass yourself, Bartimaeus. And what did he do? The Bible says in, in verse 48 that when they rebuked him and told him, be quiet, he called out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's calling out more and more and more church. When you reach a place of desperation where you recognize that the only way this need can be met is through Jesus Christ. You start to ignore the voices. And far too often, they're our own voices. What if the people around me see me crying out to Jesus? Have some dignity, have some pride, man. Now, when you get desperate for a move of God and you recognize I am in dire need and only God can do this, it powers you past those voices. I want you to indulge me for a moment. I'm going to just call it like I see it. Is that okay? Do you want to know why we don't see revival around us? And that's our community, our schools, our workplace, and in our nation. It's because the church in America is okay with it. We're okay with not seeing revival. Do you want to know why we're not even seeing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the churches? Because it, what it comes down to is we're okay with it. Have you ever visited a church and you stay for an hour, nothing in you is stirred, you try to stay awake, there's as much life as a sheet of drywall, and you walk out and you wonder, how is that place even there? Because we have adapted as a church today. The American church has adapted to a place where we can survive without the Holy Spirit. Because we have enough functions, and we have enough programs, we have enough money coming in, and what that allows us to do is go to a place of prayer and say, Lord, send revival, but if you don't, I'll be okay. Just as long as you know that if you don't, I'll be okay. And as long as as a church, we go before God and we say, send revival, but if you don't, we're okay. We will not see revival. But when we go to God from a place of desperation and we say, God, you are the only hope, 
You are the only hope, and we are in dire need spiritually. God responds to desperate situations, church. I am convinced of this. Only when we reach the end of ourselves, we can't be okay with it, church. I pray we're never a church family that can get along without the Holy Spirit, that can plug away, that has enough programs that we can just kind of go through the motions. I pray the elders ever seeing me do that, that I'm booted to the curb and someone comes in here that will lead you to a place of revival, of pursuing God. We said from day one this year, this would be a year of pursuing God with our whole heart, church. I can't do it for you. Jesus, no, not Jesus, but the Bible says, <laughs> if my people who are called by name would humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. Revival will come when we are desperate for revival. A move of the Holy Spirit will come when we are desperate for a move of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you something in Mark chapter 10, the, the passage we read earlier. Uh, I think starting in verse 48, Greg, Again, it says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Then the, ne the next verse, it says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. Uh, just a quick study this week. Uh, I found four different words uh, in the Greek or the Aramaic for that word stop. Uh, throughout the New Testament, there are four different words used for stop. And this one is unique because it doesn't just mean that Jesus stopped. The actual meaning is Jesus was caused to stop. There was something that caused Jesus to stop in his tracks. Not a coincidence. There was a man crying out in desperation, and when the crowds told him to be quiet, he cried out even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says something caused Jesus to stop. Can we be a church that causes Jesus to stop? That causes the Spirit of God to stop and look down upon us and say, there is desperation there, I'm moving there. There is desperation in their life, I am doing something powerful in their life. Renee, could you come? Church, you have the power to stop Jesus in your tracks if you will allow yourself to go to a place of desperation. We are not a self-sufficient church. We are reliant upon God. Can you say that of yourself? That I am not self-sufficient. I am fully dependent upon God. I am desperate for God in my life. I take these notes, uh, I take a few notes way back in December when I'm planning for the year, and I had a note written down, and I couldn't tell you if I came up with it or got it from a book. It's really good, though, so <laughs> probably wasn't me. 
It just says that it's for freedom that he has set us free. But being free doesn't mean letting go of your morals. It means letting go of your chains. Being free this morning doesn't mean you are free to do whatever you want when you walk out your door. It means that you have been freed from every chain. And I just wonder how many of us today are chained to the voices. We are chained to our dignity and our pride and our refusal to admit our desperate need for God in our lives and for God in our community. Can you stand with me? of us in here we have asked God for revival
I don't want to see any head hung low. The, the, the point of that is to recognize the greatness of the eternal grace of God on your life. Father, I pray that as we go, that our hearts would be more and more and more look like yours. Our desire to see revival great week. If you say anything to her, it's that I know how long we've been married. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.